Thank you. Good morning. How are y'all? Okay, well, I'll, sure. It's Sunday. We're here. I'm glad, I'm glad we get to be here together. Uh, my name is Fred, and I get to be the lead pastor here. And I've got a question I want to throw out to you, maybe a scenario, see if this resonates with you at all. Have you ever watched the news, read the headlines, scrolled through the, the socials, and, and it led you to something that made you feel maybe overwhelmed, maybe even angry? Anybody been there? by the, maybe the pain that you see being reported, maybe by the, the devastation that you see around you, maybe the evil that's being promoted is good and that stirs up all this, all this feeling in you? And, and if so, have you ever wondered what your response to that is? Have you ever wondered what the church's response to that is? Anybody been there? Okay, well, I have. Right? I'm actually there quite a bit trying to figure out how does the church respond to the world around us. Well, here's what I hope happens today in that arena. I hope that we all leave here and leave our time together with more clarity and direction on how to engage those around us with the hope of Jesus. Right? Because if you're here, here's what I, I would uh, if I was a betting man, here's what I would bet money on. I bet you believe that the hope of Jesus is the only thing that the world needs, right? That through the hope of Jesus, a lot of problems get fixed. And when Jesus is put in his proper place, a lot of other things line up. I was recently talking to a friend about this issue, and our conversation drifted to an illustration that I've used before, and, and, and we were talking about it, and it's an illustration that I've used to describe the, the church, and it goes something like this. It goes something like the church is more like a battleship than a cruise ship, that the church is a battleship, not a cruise ship. Now, now okay, here's what you have to understand about illustrations, right? Every illustration breaks down at some point. Right? Every metaphor is good up until a certain point. And, and, and I've used this metaphor, I've used this illustration to describe the church in the sense of talking about church involvement. Right? When you're on a battleship, everybody has a role to play. Right? And, and they, they have a schedule that they play that role. They have time to rest. They have time to refresh. If they're sick, they go to the sick bay and get healed to get back in that role. Whereas on a cruise ship, right? Not everybody has a role. Well, a big chunk of the people on board that ship, their role is to eat, drink, and see the sights, right? And when you're talking about church involvement, a battleship is a better illustration than a cruise ship because of that. But, like I said, every illustration does what? It breaks down. Every illustration breaks down. And so when you're talking about church, in, in, like, church involvement, that works. But when you're talking about how the church relates to the world around us, that illustration breaks down a bit, doesn't it? It's not quite complete because when we're talking about the culture around us, a battleship doesn't quite fit the bill. And a cruise ship certainly doesn't. I have yet to find an illustration where a cruise ship works. Although, don't get me wrong, I do love a good cruise ship. Right, But they have a purpose, and it's to rest and to relax and, and gain 10 pounds. Right? But as I was talking to this friend of mine about these illustrations about, about battleships and cruise ships and about 
in the context of how we engage with the church around us, we both felt the dissatisfaction of that. We were both like, no, the church isn't either one of those things. There's got to be something else. And so we kind of left that conversation both pondering what the other option could be. What's a better illustration? Now, I think I've landed on a better illustration, and then I was talking with him today, and he gave me another one. So I'm going to share the one that I've been preparing for a couple of weeks, and then I'll throw his in too, because I think it, it works too. But, but here's why this is important, y'all. Here's why we need to understand who the church is when we engage with the culture around us, because our identity determines our actions, right? The way we see ourselves as a church determines how we interact with the world around us, right? It's, it's, it's like in, in, in sports, like the position of your feet determine your posture, and your posture determines how you play, right? This is why this is critically important for us to know and understand who we are. Now, as a church at Fellowship, uh, we have three values that we kind of center things around. And, and, and we have this little values triangle that we want to be with Jesus, that we want to be in God's word, and we want to be for others. And today we're going to see how we can be for others, especially when we see what's going on in the world around us. Because what's going on in the world around us might be critically and vastly different than what's going on in us, in the church, right? And so how do we engage with a culture around us, with people around us that might be so incredibly different from us. And today, here's what we're going to see. We're going to see our posture for others, right? We're going to see our, our identity. We're going to see our posture for others. We're going to see our task for others. Like, what do we do? Once we, once we know what our posture is, like, how do we play with others, Right? And then we're going to see what our calling is. Now, we're going to spend most of the time on that first one. And then we're going to pop through the second two. Because I think once we understand our posture, we know how to play. Right? Once we understand our identity, we know what our actions can be. And now to understand our identity, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go all the way to the beginning. And we're going to touch on the end. So y'all, we're going to start in Genesis and end in Revelation. I hope you don't have plans today. Um, no, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna be like a, a, a good skipping rock, right? We're going to hit, 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 and then, and then eventually land. And um, I want to tell you this to say we're going to go on a ride together, right? Just take the ride with us, and then let's, let's, let's grapple with it a bit, all right? Now, in the beginning... The book of Genesis describes creation, and it's not just a story about a garden. It's a story about a relationship, right? It's a story about a relationship between the God who created that garden and the people that he created in it, right? It, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a book that describes in the very beginning creation and God's relationship to creation. And in the very first few verses, a word comes up. And that word is used hundreds of times in the Old Testament. It's used quite a bit in the New Testament. And here's what's interesting. This word is used more, and when I tell you what this word is, it's, it, you're going to be like, what? Like this word is used more in Genesis than any other book. Coming in second, a very close second by like, Six or eight uses, something like that, like really close second, is the book of Psalms. And then, coming in third, is a book of law called Deuteronomy. 
right? This word is used hundreds of times in the story of creation, in the music created by the people of God, and in the law created by the people of God. And what's the word? The word is this. It's bless. Right? How many of you would have thought the word bless was used in the number three ranking in the book of law? Right? It is. Now, here's the deal with this word, though. It has all kinds of meanings, doesn't it? Particularly here in the South. Right? Is that what came to your mind? Right? Like, like, like you know what I'm thinking about. What am I thinking about? Oh, bless your heart. Yeah, you know what bless your heart means? It means you did something with really good intentions, just not a whole lot of intelligence. Right? That's what, that's what bless your heart means. And, and sometimes it gets shortened to just, oh, bless. Or bless it, Right? Right? It's, it's that. It can mean that, that, man, I am doing great right now. Life is great. Do you know what we say then? We say, I'm blessed. Or if you go a little bit old school, remember this thing? Like, hashtag blessed, right? And usually that was on a cruise ship, by the way. Like, like it was usually during the most perfect part of an imperfect vacation. Everybody's blessed, right? Right? We can also use it to wish somebody good health. What do we say when somebody sneezes? Bless you. Right? And the origins of that literally is a prayer to say over somebody because it came about during the, I think it was the, the bubonic, how do you say it? Thank you. That plague. Right? And one of the first symptoms is sneezing, and they'd be like, oh, bless you, because you're probably going to die. So, best of luck. <laughs> like, like, that's what it, that was the origins of the word, right? But when we look at it biblically, Here's what, you know, we see this word all the time in Scripture, but what does it mean? Well, well, here's the first occurrence of it. In the story of creation, God says this. If you want to follow along, we'll, be, we'll start off in Genesis. But I'm going to have the verses up here for us since we're covering so many of them. It says, And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let the birds multiply on earth. And so this is the first time, out of all the hundreds of times this word is used, the first time it's used is in creation, and in particular the creation of animals, the creation of birds and, and, and fish in this case. And God says that he wants to bless them, and he wants them to multiply, and he wants them to fill the earth, right? And so he wants them to make more birds and fish, and he, and he also tells them to fill the earth. And that's what's unique. Everything else up until this point just is. But when you get to the animals, there's something different about them than the rest of creation, and that is they can move around wherever they want to go. In a sense, they have a sense of a will. They can choose, do I go right or do I go left or do I go straight? Now, now we know a lot of that is, is, is determined by their migratory patterns, by like their, their innate wiring and stuff. But they still have this picture of what God is doing and that they can multiply, fill the earth, and they can move. They, they, these animals are doing something that God can do. They can create life and they can move around by their own will. Now this blessing appears again with man and woman. Look at, look at this in Genesis 1. It says, And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living creature that moves on earth. And so when we see what God blessed in humanity, we see it's similar but a little bit different than what he blessed with the animals, isn't it? 
Do you see the difference? He, he, he did something similar to multiply and fill the earth to create life and have this ability to move where you want to move and where you need to move. But he also added this other part when he blessed them. God gave them a job to do. And what's interesting about this word blessing and what God does with that blessing is that everything he's blessing them with is a part of his character. It's something, it's something that is in him and contained in God. Because if you, look at this, if you look at this command to rule over, to have dominion, right? That's what it, mean, what it means is to bring order out of chaos. That when Adam and Eve showed up, there, there were animals and fish running around everywhere, I guess. Right? And God told them, hey, your job is to bring order to this chaos. And here's why it's similar to God in that sense, because that's what God did. If you look at the very beginning of the creation account, that's what God did. He brought order out of chaos. He brought light out of dark. And so with, with the animal world and, and with humanity in particular, he's saying, I'm going to bless you with a little bit of what is in me. Right? And humans are to represent God to the world around them in that unique way. They are the only ones that are to bring order out of chaos. Right? But then this word appears one more time in the creation account. And, you know, this one's, this one's different. This one's cool. Right? At the end, in Genesis 2, verse 3, it says this. It says, And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because he rested. Now, here's what God does that's interesting. Instead of blessing a thing, like an animal or a human, right, which can create and give life and, and, and wander the earth, he blesses a day. He blesses a day of rest, now, if you follow the same, the same logic where with animals, he's, he's, he's giving the animal world something of himself. With humans, he's given the human, humanity something of himself. All of a sudden, in rest, on this day of rest, he's saying, I'm giving this day something that's true of me as well. And I'm blessing it. Right? Could it be, y'all, that life with God is found not in what we create, not just in having a will and bringing order out of chaos, but could it be that life is found when we rest in God, when we rest in the way that he has created the world to work? Could it be, found, could it, could it be that when we trust who God is and we trust his character and his ways, that is where life is found. Now, here's what's interesting. Days one through six, right? Days one through six have a beginning and have an end. They have a morning, they have an evening, they have day, they have light. Day seven is the only day out of all of it. There is no beginning and there is no end. Day seven hasn't stopped. Day seven is God saying this is a position. This is a posture. And, and, and here's why. Here's why I say this, right? Here's what, here's what all of this shows us. It shows us a couple of things. One, it shows us that God's blessing is tied to his character. 
right? That we, when we use the word bless, somehow it is tied to the character of God. We can't bless something that doesn't mimic the character of God and who God is. He blessed the animals to create life and, and had a will, and he blessed humans to create life and had a will and to bring order out of chaos. And that blessing is found forever, not in what we do, but in, in the way God has established That blessing is forever found when we rest in God's ways. Now, here's how this plays out. And here's here's where I think, because I was kind of toying with this and listening to some stuff and reading some stuff. and, and, And this idea of resting in God's ways is where rest is found is what our entire Bible plays out. Right? Because because basically from that point on. You see God talk to Adam and Eve. Remember, he tells them, you can eat of any tree in the garden except this one tree. This one tree, you can't eat of that. Now, that's all he told them. They could climb that tree. They could sit under that tree. They could rest with their backs against that tree. But God said, don't eat out of that tree. And so he's saying, hey, trust me. Trust my character. Trust my ways. Enjoy all of this abundance except this one tree. And what's the one thing that they want to do so badly? They want to say, hey, all of this is great and good, but not quite enough. I want to grab this tree because it looks like a blessing. But we know it's not. And so fast forward to chapter 3. When God tells them to enjoy everything except this one tree, there is this invitation to to trust God and to rest in his ways and to work in the blessing that God has provided and to trust in his ways. And, And they do. They grab something that looks like a blessing and it's not. And then another word appears in Scripture that's actually mentioned a lot less, but it's a powerful word, and it is this word. It is the word curse. Right? And God curses the serpent the one who led them away from resting in God. God curses the ground that they have to work from because now it's going to be really hard to work in. But do you know who God never curses in that story? Adam and Eve. Do you know why he never curses Adam and Eve? Because their position has already been established. They are blessed. They are blessed. They are tied to God's character as humanity to to fill the earth, to multiply, to to move where they want and to bring order out of chaos. Now, he does tell them the consequences of their choices. He does say that, that, that having children will be really hard now. And what's interesting is our translations don't quite capture that because our translations say giving birth will be difficult. Well, that's proved to be true, right? But the word there is a little different. The word for giving birth is used all throughout the scriptures, and, and there's a different one in this Genesis account. And it's, and it's not the word to, to give birth, it's the word to conceive life. It's the word of, of relationships. It's the words of, of there will be strife between you and, the, and man now because relationships are going to be, be destroyed by power and lust and greed. And they wouldn't have been before. And you see that played out through the scriptures. Like, you want a, a, a nasty soap opera? Read the rest of Genesis. And you will see all kinds of things in this book that would never make it on a film. 
Because women are abused by men. People are murdered for their birthright. Like it is, it is, it is twisted. And the reason why is because the rest of Genesis, as this unfolds, is we get to watch humanity grapple with, I'm going to live and rest and trust in God's ways. Ooh, look at that. This looks like a blessing. And I'm going to grab it and find out it's not. Because when I do that, what I think is a blessing is actually a curse. And so what does all this have to do with how we approach those around us? Well, fast forward in Genesis to to the story of Abraham. And God tells this to Abraham in Genesis 12. He says, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing, right? There's the word blessing there. Like, I'm going to bless you. I will bless those who bless you. And to him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be what? Blessed. So now in the, in, the story, in the unfolding of Genesis, you see like Adam and Eve are blessed, humanity is blessed, and then you get to Abraham and you see that that blessing has a purpose now. Now that, now that in Abraham's time there's already a culture around him that doesn't know this God and doesn't follow our God, Abraham has a call on him that is not only to live in the blessing of God, but to be a blessing to everyone around them. Because that's what God says. He says, in you, all the nations will be blessed. In you, Abraham, everybody will get to experience what a relationship, a life-giving relationship can be like. And they can't find that anywhere else. The only place they can find it is God's people. The only place they can find it is in the people who are struggling to rest in my ways, and to trust in my ways, right? And so we see this redeclaration of God's relationship that he will bless, and he will bless Abraham, and he will bless the nation of Israel. And y'all, this is key because remember, our, our identity determines our actions, right? Our posture determines how we play with others. And being blessed by God, the nation of Israel is the place where others can experience the blessing of God. And so what is a working definition of blessing at this point? It is this, that blessing is a trusting relationship with God where others can experience the same relationship. That blessing is a trusting relationship with God where others can experience the same relationship. Now fast forward to the New Testament, Jesus is born. And you see blessing and curse being played out again, right? That God becomes man and what does he do is he lives a blessed life. He lives never grabbing anything that looks like a blessing and isn't. He lives a life where he rested in God and trusted in God. And, and his life was countercultural to the culture around him. Even the, the religious people looked at him and said, man, what are you talking about? That is not the way we do things around here. And he said, ah, but in the kingdom of God, that's how this works. And he was the one that, 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 that lived a perfect life. And yet, and yet, he died the death of a man under a curse. He died the death of a criminal, even though he was the only human, right? He was 100% human, 100% God. He was the only one in human skin to ever take what look, to never take what looked like a blessing and wasn't. And yet, when he died, God reverses the curse and raises Jesus to life. 
to show that this is where life is found, to show that life is found in trusting Jesus and entrusting the kingdom of God that he talks about. And then fast forward all the way to Revelation. And here's what's crazy, y'all. The last chapter of Revelation. We've been at the beginning and now we're looking at the end. Revelation 22 says this. No longer will there be any curse. That one day all things will be made right. One day there will be nothing but blessing of God. The curse will be removed, right? There will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in this city and his servants will serve him, right? Because this blessing continues. Starts a creation, goes through revelation, and one day there will be nothing, y'all. Like, listen in this. One day there will be nothing but this trusting, life-giving relationship with the God who created us and the God who loves us. One day. Does that give you hope? Or are you kind of the cynic like me and go, well, it ain't today. (laughs) Right? Both of those things are true. Both of those things are true. One day, but not yet. Here, but not fully. Right? Y'all, I think this is why Jesus taught in the Sermon of the Mount, blessed are the poor. Blessed are the persecuted. Because I think he's reminding people that even though their circumstances look like they're living in a curse, he's reminding them that, hey, remember, you are blessed by God. Even if you're poor. You are blessed by God even when you grieve. You are blessed by God even when you persecute. And the implication is that is that even though the circumstances around you may be dire, because you are blessed and because you can experience this life-giving relationship with God, guess what you get to do in the midst of your grief? Guess what you get to do in the, in the midst of your poverty? Guess what you get to do in the midst of your, of your persecution? is you get to be a blessing to those around you. It's why Paul could be imprisoned in jail and and sing hymns, right? And when an earthquake hits and the gates pop open, he doesn't run. He finds the jailer because he knows that if they run, he will be killed. And he goes, hey, we're still here, by the way. Because he understood he was blessed to be a blessing. It's why Jesus... Um, um, it's, it's why Jesus, when the disciples are with him and they're walking through Samaria and he's going to Jerusalem to be crucified, he knows what's ahead. The disciples don't. He's in Samaria. They reject Jesus. They reject the disciples. And, and, and James and John, you know, they have a quick temper. They're the sons of thunder, right? right? They look at Jesus and they go, hey, should we call fire down on them? Right? Let's just destroy the whole thing. Let's just destroy Samaria We can rebuild it again. Like, it's not a problem. Let's just do that. Right? And they're probably thinking of when God called down fire on the prophets of Baal. And they're like, yeah, he's done it before. Let's do it again. Do you know what Jesus does? It says that he turned and rebuked them. He's reminding them, guys, 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 guys. We are blessed so that we can be a blessing to Samaria. Right? Right? You see, this 
calling fire down isn't a position of blessing. And it may feel and look like a blessing to rain fire down and to destroy. But Jesus wants them to know that according to him, it's not. And so church, what is our posture for those around us? Our posture is to be a blessing. That as followers of Jesus, our posture is to be the place where life with God can be found. Right? That's our posture. We get to be a place where trusting in God through Jesus and following his order and and resting all of our identity and all of our anxiety in him gives us life. We get to be the billboards for the kingdom of God. We get to be the billboards for this kind of life to the world that we live in around us. And so the question for us to consider is this. When the world looks at the church, and I don't mean just Fellowship Asheville, although I don't want to take us out of the question, but when the world looks at the church, right, capital C Church, church around the world, church in America, do they see a life-giving relationship with God? I'd say it depends, doesn't it? It depends. Do they see the kind of life-giving relationship found only in God through the effective work of Jesus? It depends. But I think they can. As a matter of fact, I've banked the last like 27 years of my life in ministry on the fact that it can. That we have a God who has infinite hope and infinite goodness and infinite mercy that allows us to be the, the billboards of truth and grace to the world around us. That our posture, right, is to be this blessing. And I think that we can. And if we can, then what do we do? What's our task? Well, I think our task is simple. Our task for others is to invite them to live in this same blessing. Right? Our posture is to be a blessing and our task is to invite them to be part of the blessing with us. Our posture is to be a blessing. Our task is to invite. And y'all, I'm not talking about invite to church, although, although I love that. I think this is like a condensed version of what, of what heaven can be like, of what the kingdom of God is like. But I'm talking about inviting them into a life-giving relationship with our Savior. Right? In John 18, 36, it says, we are to be in the world, but not of the world. Right? And when Jesus said this, he was implying and saying that our task is to invite people to be part of a different world with us. And when we do, let me tell you, here's the questions that you get. Right? In Scripture, you read through the book of Acts, and you see somebody walking up to the disciples and saying, oh, how can I be saved? You're not going to get that question. Right? But here's the question you get. You get... How come you aren't worried about all this? Why do you have such a peace when everybody else is freaking out? You get that question. You get the question of, gosh, thank you for caring for me. Why did you do that? Nobody else showed up. Why did you show up? You get the question, why why are you being so nice to me? Why are you being so kind to me? When, when, when in high school, when Christian students show up to the table where nobody else is sitting with that one person, that's the question you hear. Why? Why are you being so nice to me? Right? And we can answer the same way Jesus did. 
Because when he got asked questions, he said, let me tell you about the kingdom of God. Right? In the kingdom of God, we have a father who loves us. And he doesn't just love us, he likes us. So much so that he sent his son to teach us about him. And we have these words written down. He sent his son to die for us so that we can have life in God. And he raised his son from death to life to show us that everything he has said and everything that he has declared is true and to show us that in this God is where life is found. The kingdom of God seems like a world that's turned upside down. But y'all, what Jesus shows us, what, what scripture shows us is that the kingdom of God is actually the way the world needs to work. It's the way the world is supposed to work. Instead of the world turned upside down, the kingdom of God is the world turned right side up because this is what God has intended all along. You see, it's the world as it should be. The kingdom of God is actually humanity returning to our default. The kingdom of God is us returning to the way God made us. And then what do you do after you invite some in? What do you do when they're like, tell me more about that. That sounds really weird. You do this. Our calling for others is to disciple them, to teach them in the ways of Jesus. When others are curious, we lead them to the ways of Jesus and we help them see how God operates in the world and around us. It's why Paul wrote to the Roman church, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be what? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind because Paul knows we live in a different world. We live in a world that's turned right side up. And so back to the ship question. Again, every illustration does what? Breaks down, right? See, if we're a battleship engaging with the culture around us, wanting to rain fire on the world around us, right? That controls our actions, right? And so what kind of ship is the church? Are we a battleship? I don't think so, and here's why. Tim Keller said this, and I agree with him. He said, he said when we look at Scripture, there are four issues that are predominant in Scriptures that the church is to be for, right? And, and one of those things is we are for life, right? We are for life. We are for babies being born. And, and I specifically did not choose the term pro-life because that's been politicized. We are for life. I don't know that there's anybody that, that, that's in this church that isn't for babies being born. The way we approach it may be different, but biblically, we are for life. And life of every stage, not just babies being born. We are for the biblical idea of marriage. That marriage is a covenant between one man and one woman. We are for those things. We are for racial equality. Right? Because when we look at heaven, we look at Revelation, we look at the New Testament, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither, neither Scythian or barbarian. There is neither slave nor free man. We are all what in Christ? One. We are for the marginalized and disenfranchised. It's why Jesus would tell the church, hey, when I was naked, you clothed me. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. And here's why I mention these. One, because I think, I think Tim Keller's right. But two, I think it highlights how this illustration breaks down. If we are a battleship and we join battleships for these causes, here's where a dividing line comes across. 
If you vote red or if you vote, vote blue, you're divided on this. Right? If you vote red, you are with me on two of them. And the other two, you are like, ah, no, what do you mean by that? Right? If you vote blue, you are with me on the other two. And you're like, well, wait a minute, what do you mean by that? And if you join a battleship, not only do you fight the culture out there, but you also begin to fight the culture in here. That's where that illustration breaks down. Because what you have to grapple with is that all four of these are found in Scripture. You can't just be for two and not the other two. You get to be for all four. So what do we do? Do we battle? And y'all, I'm not saying there's not evil in the world that we have to come up against. Yes, there is. Right? Are we a cruise ship? Right? Do we just hop on board, grab our cocktail, head to the top deck, and act like none of this is happening? I think Jesus would have some issues with that. Right? Right? Do we escape all this and go to some oblivion? No, there's evil in our world and evil, like I said at the beginning, that only the hope of Jesus can fix. There is evil in our world that only God can fix. And church, hear me, our job is not to make it easy for evil to succeed. Our job is to push evil back. We do that. How we do that, though, that's pretty wide-ranging, isn't it? But my question for us is, as we do that, are we being a blessing to the culture around us. And here's why I think, back to the illustration, I came up with another one, and every illustration breaks down, so it's not completely full, and then I was talking to, to the person I was talking with, and we came up with another one just this morning, right? So, so here's mine that Artie made the slide for, and it's this, that the church is more like a spaceship in dealing with the culture around us. And here's why. The kingdom of God is an alternate culture for our world around us. We're not calling them to change their culture. We're inviting them aboard a completely different culture, right? We're a spaceship. Now, the, 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 the person I was talking to, they came up with one too, and they're like, Hi, we're, we're kind of like a Coast Guard ship, right? We can defend and attack if we need to, but our main calling is to save, right? I like that one too. Because remember, every illustration does what? Breaks down at some point, right? Like, don't, don't send me an email that we're not a spaceship because of this, this, and this. I'll be like, you're right. You're right. You're right. So just hear me say right now, you're right. Come up with something better, right? You write the book, not me, right? But the point is, in this context, we live in a different kingdom. And we, in that kingdom, we are blessed by God to be a blessing to those around us. And what happens is when we do that, the natural next step is to invite them in to this culture with us. Right? We let Jesus teach us about how life works on this ship. And one day, right, one day this ship will take off, Right? Theologically, every illustration breaks down at some point, right? But we saw in Revelation, one day on that ship, there will be no more curse. And there will just be blessing. The question for you to consider is, is your ship this kind of ship? Right? Is your identity in the church this kind of identity? Right? Do you want to know more about this kingdom of God that I'm talking about? Because I'm also not assuming that everybody who's here this morning watching at home or listening later in the week knows what I mean when I talk about the kingdom of God. If so, come talk to me. 
And question for us to leave today with, because I've gone way over time, is this. Is your ship this kind of ship? Let's pray. Jesus, um, you are a good God, and your kingdom of God, gosh, it's so different. But this is why we're, we're for others. We're for others because we want to represent this kingdom of God to the world around us. And so, Jesus, help us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.